0: Father, we thank you for this privilege and honor. We thank you, Father, for who you are and what you do. We thank you for the power in the name of Jesus that we can use because of the special relationship we have with you. Father, because of that, this morning you're going to speak to us. And I pray that you give me special utterance. And because this message is important for your people, Father, that you give them special understanding. That as they receive your word, they will put it into practice so that their life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so this morning I'm going to be very practical. It's going to be a very practical message of encouragement that the Lord gave me for you but also for myself. There's a lot to cover, so we're going to try to go as quickly as possible, and we believe that the Holy Spirit will help you to get the best possible grasp of today's message. This morning, I'm going to talk about a, a phenomenon that many of you are aware of because it affects so many of us. And this is something that really stems from social pressure, from the ever-growing demands of the society we live in. This morning, I'm talking about self-esteem. What is self-esteem? According to the American Psychological Association, self-esteem is put in simple ways. It's uh, just the way you see yourself. How do you see yourself? What do you think you're worth? It's the concept of feeling, of feeling of thinking about, thinking good about yourself and what you're able to do. So what do you think about yourself, the things that you're able to do? How confident are you on your gifts, your abilities? How confident are you on your ability to achieve great things? That's self-esteem. Now, they talk about three types of self-esteem. They said you can have high self-esteem, you can have good self-esteem, or low self-esteem. High self-esteem is where someone thinks too high of themselves. Uh, They feel entitled, they feel they are superior to others. We've we've met people like that, right? All right, those people, they have high self-esteem. Good self-esteem is for people who are generally self-confident. They have a good sense of who they are, a good sense of their value, their worth, a good sense of their abilities. And then you have low self-esteem. That's for people who think very low about themselves. They think they are worthless, they are useless, they think they are unable to achieve anything great. Now, what's striking is that according to different research 85% of people in the world and 85% of people in america suffer from low self esteem so that means if we are 200 in this room about 170 of us think very low of ourselves we are not confident we don't think we we can achieve great things and that's bad So I'm going to focus this morning on low self-esteem because that's what 85% of us based on statistics are suffering from, 85%. And mostly people between the ages of 20 and 30, the age brackets are mostly those who are between 20 and 30 and those who are between 50 and 60. So that's pretty much all of us. We're suffering from low self-esteem. Now, this, of course, has serious implications on how we live our life. Serious implications on the way we relate to others. Serious implications on our relationship with God. The way we understand God. A believer who thinks very low of themselves cannot develop a good relationship With the body of Christ. So maybe some of the issues that we have within the body are due to the fact that many of us think very low of ourselves. A believer who thinks very low of themselves will be unable to fully fulfill God's purpose in their life. And I'm not talking about people who know about they know who they are and they humbly accept to surrender so that Christ, the light of, of Christ, can shine. I'm talking about people who really believe they are worthless, they are useless. This is bad. And this can span over generations, affecting peoples, affecting nations. We do have some nations in this world where when you look closely you have the impression that everybody suffers from low self-esteem. And when you go back you realize that most of the time it comes from centuries and centuries of suffering, centuries of being under the domination of other nations being under the domination of other people, under the domination of other groups. And we take that, we transfer it to future generations and we create just a group of people who don't believe in themselves, who think what is better, it always elsewhere. The others are always better than us. So it's serious. It's serious. And my disclaimer this morning is this message is not intended to turn the focus on you. And you realize as we go along that the intent of this message is really for you to turn the focus on Christ. So it's not about you. I'm talking about you without talking about you. We want to fulfill God's purpose. The title of my message this morning is, The Love of Jesus is More Than Enough. The love of Jesus is more than enough. Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. It says, but what things were gained to me, these have counted loss for Christ. This is Paul. being conformed to his death if by any means i may attain to the resurrection from the dead amen this passage we just read is really my landing point this is where we're going to end this morning It's my landing point because you may not see the connection between low self-esteem and what we just read so we'll come back to it towards the end of the message Let's examine low self-esteem in more detail. What are some causes? The rule of thumb for low self-esteem is past experience. Many people think so low about, about themselves, young people, older people we, we saw, 20, between 20 and 30, which is a time where really we need to be confident about the things that we're able to accomplish with God. That was, that's when the devil comes and tries to, makes us understand, to make us understand that we are useless, that there's something we can do. And when we get to 50, 60, where we should be really confident about the things we have done, and the, that second part of our life where we really need to fulfill purpose, he comes again and says, no, you're useless, you're worthless, there's nothing you can do. Past experiences. The experience of disapproval from authorities in our life, and parent, and and uh, and our parental figures, for instance. We've had parents who never appreciated what we did. Uh, we spent our childhood with very extremely strict parents who were so demanding that uh, all the time they told us that no, it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough. So that can eventually make us think that we. We, we, we are not in, we, we, we can make it. We don't have what it takes to make it. Many of us know what I'm talking about. So, as a consequence, we're always looking for validation. We look around, we do something, oh, who is validating what I did? And now that we have social media, we go on social media and we try as much as we can to get that validation from our followers. So no wonder why people are always on social media posting everything. I ate this this morning. Look at, look at it. I'm traveling this morning. Look at it. My child got his first, his first tooth. Look at it. We're looking for validation. Because really, why do we post all that on social media? What, in fact, Why should I be interested in what you ate this morning? No, really. So if you give me that information, it means you are looking for my validation about the very details of your life. That's low self-esteem. That's an expression of low self-esteem. Experiences of past abuse of any form. Physical, sexual, emotional—if we've we've been abused in the past, one way or the other, eventually it makes us develop low self-esteem because we were abused, and maybe at that time there was no intervention, no, no nobody came to our rescue. So eventually, we start looking down at ourselves. Experiences of broken families. Mom was never there, dad was never there, or they got divorced, they got separated. Affects the children. And later on, they don't know who they are, they don't know what to think of themselves. Some academic issues. Past poor performance in class, in school. We never had good grades, all our teachers always said we'll never make it. We live in it with it, we believe in it, and eventually, we act upon it. I'm nothing. I don't know math. I'm not good at math. A lot of people who say they're not good at math, it's not because they are not, but because they have heard people tell them, no, you can't, you can't. Especially women. Who said women are not good at math? Guilt. You did something in the past, something really bad. But because you are not aware of your new identity in Christ, you live with that guilt. You think about that. Whatever you achieve, anything you do or anything you want to do, the devil brings back that thing you did. You can move on. Experience of bullying. You know, things that maybe at school or wherever people used to bully you. Social beauty standards. That's a good one. (laughs) How come only the ladies are saying, (laughs) who? Social beauty standards, they will cause us to not accept our physical appearance. That's a very big one. And I'm joking about the ladies, but really, it's everybody. We don't like the way we look. Because of standards that society has defined, beauty standards that society has defined, that they feed us through uh, different advertisements and different communications, TV, the internet, and all of that. And we want to look like that girl. We want to look like that man. We want to be, we want to have this shape of nose. Who remembers Michael Jackson? How many times did he change the shape of his nose? you look into the mirror in the, in the morning and you don't like what you see. You remember that story? Was that Cinderella or, or, or who, uh, Snow White? When we were kids. Who was that uh, that lady who looked into the mirror, asked the mirror, what do I look like? Snow White, all right. So in the mirror we say, no, Snow White is the most beautiful, she will break the mirror. It's everybody. I remember when I was a, 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 when I was younger, people used to call me Shorty. <laughs> I grew up in Cameroon, so they used to call me Lukuga. So That 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 short that, that short guy. And if, if, you, if you are from Cameroon or if you know people from Cameroon, you know that on average, an average Cameroonian adult is taller than me. You, you know that. Right. So I spent my childhood uh, looking up at people. <laughs> and I remember when I was very little in elementary school, I was a character in a play. The title of the, the play was the, the, the Powerful Little Man. I don't even know why I agreed to be in that play. (laughs) And when I was dating my wife who was here, uh, I thank God she didn't look at my height. Because she told me afterwards that every time I would come to her house, when I leave, her brothers would would ask her, are you really serious with that short guy? (laughs) god she told me about it after we got married <laughs> <laughs> so one way or the other we all suffer from that you know those social standards of beauty that <laughs> we we want to adhere to and we realize that we cannot and it's a struggle it's a struggle Also, natural infirmities. If you were were born with a natural infirmity of any kind, it can be a source of low self-esteem. And the big thing is we compare ourselves to one another. You know, you look at your neighbor, you look at your brother, you look at people around you. You examine your whole life based on what their life looks like, and it makes you look bad, feel bad. We spend our life worrying about the opinion of others, what other think about what we do, again, looking for validation. So that's serious. And one way or the other, if you are candid, you will say, "Yes, this is me. I'm experiencing this thing this, or I have experienced this at one stage or the other in my life. That's why the percentage is so high, 85%. And out there, you have some psychologists and, and, and self-esteem therapists who will give you solutions, of course. Some will tell you that you need to, they will teach you techniques to neutralize and eliminate your negative thoughts, because they will say, okay, it's because of negative thoughts. So they will teach you different techniques. Others will tell you, uh, will teach you how to eliminate comparison, how to make sure that you don't compare yourself to others. And others will tell you, okay, you just need to build a positive image of yourself through maybe yoga or whatever and develop what, they, what is trending now that they call self-love. Now, of course, as Christians, as believers, our solutions are not found in the office or the offices of psychologists, of self-esteem therapists. Our solution is in Christ. So let's talk about some biblical, scripture-based solutions to low self-esteem. The first thing we need to examine is, or to know, is that We do suffer from low self-esteem because we don't know our identity. We are unaware of our identity in Christ. So I'm just going to refresh your memory this morning. If you are in Christ, who here is in Christ? All right. Almost everybody. So if you are in Christ, it means everything we're going to talk about here this morning in terms of your identity applies to you, whether you want it or not. And if you didn't know, this is time for you to learn. I hope you know that you were created in the image of God. That's Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. In his own image image. So if you look yourself in the mirror, you look in the mirror, you look at the man or the woman in the mirror and you don't like what you see, it means you don't like the image of God. Because you were created in God's image. And I'm not being spiritual, not just spiritual. Because God took his time to shape your nose, your legs, your ears, everything, everything. All your being the way you are. Don't tell me it's spiritual. God didn't make a mistake when he created you the way you are. And he said he created you in his own image. So when you look, and when Jesus come, he didn't come in a different form. He came in the form of a human being with eyes, with a nose, with everything else. So, if you want to change what you see in the mirror it means you don't agree with the image of God and there's an industry now called uh, plastic surgery it's booming maybe some of you are considering doing some changings (laughs) changing something here or there or there Before you make your decision, think about Genesis 127. <laughs> now, God himself is the one who created you. He took his time really to give you the appearance you have today. Psalm 139 13-14. Psalm 139 13-14. You form my Inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Do, do you see that? He said he formed you himself. He formed you. And he concluded that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. So, what do you want to change? What do you want to change to what God says is wonderfully made? Unless you want to become the creator. God says you are precious in his eyes. You are precious in God's eye. Zechariah 2 verse 8. Zechariah 2 verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you, touches what? Zachariah, can you put that on the screen please? Zachariah 2 verse 8. He who touches you, touches the apple of his eye. That, this, this is how God is referring to you. He says, he, whoever touches you, touches what? The apple of his eye. And you say you are not worthy? You say you're useless? When God himself says you are the apple of his eye? Change your perspective. God values every single part of you. Every, every single part of you. Every single part of your being. Luke 12, 6 to 8. Luke 12, 6 to 8. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Verse 7. But the very, the very Hairs of your head are all numbered. Tell me, what sense would it make to sit and start numbering the hair hair of your head, really? What waste of time? Who can sit here and say, okay, this morning I'm going to number the hairs on my head? Who can do that? It would be a waste of time. Yes! From a human human standpoint, for us it would be a waste of time, but yet God is saying <laughs> that there's not one single piece of hair that falls from your head and he's not aware because he knows exactly the number. See how detailed, how detailed he is when it comes to you. And you think you're not worthy? And you want to change a piece here, a piece there? That's your identity in Christ. Remember that God says you are the righteousness of God, you are His righteousness in Christ. That's who you are. And there are plenty other references you can do your own research of who God says. You are of how God sees you, who he considers you are. That's who you are. And because you don't know that, or maybe you didn't reflect on that enough, that's why at at times you have the impression that you're useless, that you're worthless, that there's nothing good you can do. Number two, you need to know and use the special gifts and talents that God, that make you a unique person. You are unique. Yeah. There's no two people. There are no two people like you on this earth. God made you in a unique, a unique way. That's why in, 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 in science, forensic science, and all of that, they use fingerprints. Use fingerprints and now they go up, they use the the, the DNA ID. There is a DNA ID that is even more unique than the fingerprints to show that there are no two of you, sir. Of you, ma'am, you are unique on this earth. Unique. Why would God not make duplicates? We are eight billion, I think, on this earth. Why would He make eight billion? Different people. Because you have a unique role to play. There is something on this earth that would not be done or that wouldn't have been done if you were not here. In the book of Jeremiah 1, five, this is what he's telling Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So if he knew you before even forming you in the womb, it means he he brought you here with a purpose. You came for a specific reason. And he needed you in a a specific way to fulfill a specific purpose. So you can look at that and say, I'm worthless. He said he knew you before you were born. He had already sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So there's something God has ordained you to be. Because He knew you before your parents even met, before your parents even thought about meeting. So the shape you are, you you, you have today, the gifts and abilities you have today are unique. I thank God for my wife. She makes her own hair. You see this long hair, the way these African ladies know how to make their hair. She does that herself in front of the mirror. And I'm like, wow. You know how much it costs when you go to the hair salons? So maybe, maybe God gave her that gift just so we can save money. So really, you are unique. You have unique gifts, unique talents, unique abilities. But the, the problem is you don't know that. That's why you allow the devil to lie to you that you're worthless. That's why you have low self-esteem. So your unique gifts and talents will always stand out. So focus on discovering them. Focus on leveraging them so that your creator can be glorified. Number three, you need to know Jesus' reckless love for you. Remember, the title of this message is, The Love of Jesus is More Than Enough. You don't know how much Jesus loves you. That's why you think you are reckless. So you are useless. You don't know that He loves you recklessly. Why would love? Why would God love a useless person? Somebody that is good for nothing, that cannot do anything. God wouldn't love you recklessly the way he does if you were so useless to him. You are not. And let me talk about the love of God. Jesus knows you and loves you with your weaknesses. Because sometimes we look at our weaknesses and because of those we gave a list earlier, we think we are worthless, we're useless. But Jesus loves you with your weaknesses. So you don't need anyone else's validation. You don't need anyone else's love. In fact, you don't even need to worry about loving yourself. The self-love that they talk about. Don't worry about loving yourself because Jesus loves you and his love is enough. So you don't need to love yourself or think about strategies to love yourself. Because Jesus already loves you and that's it. In the book of Psalm 103 verses 14 through 16, he's aware of who you are. He's aware of your your weaknesses. He knows our frame. He knows what you're made of because he's the one who made you. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are what? What? Dust. He knows that. So we shouldn't be ashamed of our frame. We shouldn't be ashamed of being dust. Because God knows that he did it on purpose. He made us the way we are on purpose. He knows that our days are just like grass. We're here today, gone tomorrow. He knows that. And now let's look at the way God has responded to low self-esteem over time. Throughout the Bible, God has always responded to low self-esteem with love. We're talking about discovering the reckless love of Christ for you, for me. God has always responded to low self-esteem with love. It started in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3, 9 to 10. Adam and Eve Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, "Where are you?" So He said, "I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." That's a low point. He knew he did what he wasn't supposed to do. And now this is him. He feels useless, wordless. He feels naked. And he hides. Many of us, we hide. We're not ambitious. We don't want to take responsibilities. We don't want to do anything. We hide because we think, because of guilt. He hid. And what did God do in verse 21? Jump to verse 21. For Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. This is love. He clothed them. Abraham. Genesis 15 verses 1 through 5. This is Abraham. God telling him, you know what? I will make you the father of many nations. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Verse 2. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. Many of us have low self-esteem because God didn't give us a child. Many women, when they look at other women, they feel womanless. Or men look at other men, they feel manless. Because they don't have a child. Or in some cultures, some men will look at other men, see that they don't have a male child and feel maleless or manless. And the hair of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, verse 3. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. What value do I have with no offspring? Indeed, one board in my house is my hair." And behold, what did the Lord do? The, Lord, the word of the, of, of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your own heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, you shall, so shall your descendants be. This is God. Responding to low self esteem with love, with a promise that don't worry, I'll get your back. (laughs) Let's quickly look at Moses, Exodus 4 10 to 12. This is Moses suffering. Not believing himself, not thinking he can make it because I don't know how to speak. I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Lord, I cannot do it. This is what the Lord said, who has made man's mouth? (laughs) So you're complaining about a physical infirmity. You say so. Are you saying that I made a mistake? That's what. That's actually what God is asking. So Moses, are you pretending that I made a mistake when I created you? So, so who, who made your mouth? Who made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Who does all of that? Isn't it I? So I know what I'm doing. Why do you complain? If I say go and do, I know about your weaknesses. I know about your inabilities, what you see as inabilities. I know about them. So you don't need to worry about that. I've got your back. Gideon. In Judges 6, 11 through 16, Gideon. (laughs) Gideon. Let's move to verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty men of valor. You see how God sees you? You are sitting there thinking you're useless. God calls you a mighty person of valor. Verse 13. Verse 13. Gideon says, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the mighty and Remember, we received a word this morning that he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the lands of the mighty and Have I not sent you? I'm the one sending you. So why are you complaining about your abilities or your inabilities? I'm the creator, I've got your back. And we can go on and on. I have other examples. But really, we can see, I have the story of Paul. You remember when Paul was complaining about the tongue in the flesh, God says, what did God say? My grace is sufficient. You don't need to worry about that, that physical infirmity or whatever that was. Why do you think about that? Why do you worry about that? Am I not the one sending you? We see that God always and has always responded to low self-esteem with love. He shows his love. And you can read the, the, story, the, the story of mankind falling, the fall of mankind. You can read what God did. You can read Ephesians 2 verse 1 through 10 that clearly explain that even when you fail, when we fail as human beings, God came and restored. Even when we are at the lowest point where we were disconnected from him, out of love he came back and restored. So I want to conclude With the point where I started, Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. We're going to read it again. And this is Paul now. What things were again to me? Paul, after having lived everything that he lived, he said, the things that were again to me, I've counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the good knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Nothing matters. What matters is that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, not thinking about my infirmities, my inabilities, but the righteousness that which is found through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. What matters for Paul, what Paul is saying us, that what matters for us is to focus on being transformed by the love of Christ into his likeness. And verse 10 says that I may know him, that we may know Christ, that we may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being what? conform to his death. Verse 11, being conformed to his death. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wants us to focus on being conformed to Christ. Being conformed to Christ. Receiving the the love of Christ. Acknowledging the love of Christ. Understanding that his love for us is enough. In fact, if you have low self-esteem this morning, God is telling you, That he doesn't want you to think about it. Even think about your worth. Think about who you are, what are what you're capable of doing. God wants you to take that out of the equation. That's the reason why he reminded you of who you are. He reminded you of who he says you are. He reminded you of your identity in him. And once that is established that you are his righteousness in Christ, what he wants you to do is to focus on him. Not think about can I do, can I do, because he has already told you who you are. So focus on him. He doesn't want you to think about yourself, your self-worth or anything like that. The reason he created you in a special and unique way is so that you can live for him. So that I can live for him. He revealed to you, to me, our true identity so that we don't have to worry about it. Worry about am I worthy or whatever. We don't need to worry about that because it's established who we are in Christ. Instead, we need to focus on his love for us. He wants us to focus on being transformed into his likeness through the gradual revelation of the love of Christ. Again, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the love of Christ is more than enough. We need nothing else. Amen. Amen. There is, we're kind of out of time, but I want us to sing this maybe we can just sing the first part of this hymn, In Christ Alone, because it really captures the essence of this message. If you will all please stand, we'll, we'll sing together just the first part of this hymn, In Christ Alone. May we have it on the screen, please. We'll sing together, whether we have the, the musicians or not. Let's sing. when striving saves my comforter, my all in all, here yeah, in the love of Christ, I stand. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We stand on the love of Christ. Amen.